Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. And I'm George. And George just spent an hour and a half in Shakespearean uh, drama. I think we all need to stand up and give him a, a little round of uh, applause, a little golf clap. <laughs> you uh, made it. it, was an, it you was, well, made I thought it was 122 minutes. <laughs> it's a little more than a pretty sure it was like two plus hours. Yeah, I thought it flew by. Guys, we watched Julius Caesar. <laughs> From 1953, and right now, I think that both George and Travis are thinking, why in the holy heck did we just watch a movie from the 50s, written directly from the Shakespearean drama, about an ancient Roman uh, and the betrayal that occurred to him? Guys, are you feeling like that is about where you're at? I'm just taking the temperature of the room. Uh, I will speak for myself. Only and let Travis speak for himself. I am feeling like, uh, like you just said, I have no idea what this has to do with, uh, what we're doing currently on the pod, how it fits in, but I'm sure I will learn that, uh, from you, uh, presently. And I'm also feeling like this movie was not bad, it kind of rocks, it's kind of really, really good. At At first, I had a really tough time. And then I quick read the Cliff's notes, and then it was much easier to follow. Mm. How long has and it been since we had to reach for Cliff's notes? <laughs> probably fifteen years for me, or or more. Mm. It was really hard to follow with the language and such. Um, I didn't know what Brutus's motivation was. I couldn't gather it from the dialogue because I couldn't understand it but the Cliff's Notes definitely like you know yeah easy where you know where he's coming where, you know the Cliff Notes are good for like where each character is coming from and then you know it, boom I can watch it and like if some of the dialogue goes over your head it's like okay I get what's going on anyway every actor needs Cliff Notes to do this play yeah because you either have a rock in vocabulary or you just have to find out what your motivation is t- to deliver a line. You might not know exactly what you're saying, but you know what your feelings are when saying it. Mm-hmm. So then you know how to deliver that line, where to punctuate and whatever. But It's kind of like when somebody plays a scientist <clears throat> or a doctor in a movie and yeah. they really have to deliver those technical terms with some gusto, even though they have no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that's what well, you're describing. What I was feeling when I was watching this was, A, what I texted you <laughs> last night, which was, um, uh, what did I say, like an hour in, still no Batman is in this movie or something like that. <laughs> like I was just sitting there thinking, okay, I, I really was not sure why I was watching it for why we're watching it. Yes, it's a classic movie. Yes, it has 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, it has Martin, a Marlon Brando. And, and is John Gilgood in this Let's worry about I casting think. in a little bit. Okay. So there's a lot of people in this that I can see why we watch it. It's an actor's movie. But I'm watching it and I'm thinking, okay, this is how I feel or how I would feel when I go to Mass and I can't understand the priest. Mm. So I know what he's doing because <laughs> I've been there and I know what the processes but when it gets to the homily you i'm know, like you know the plot yeah when yeah. i get to the homily i have no idea and i'm just waiting for them to get back to the prayers because <laughs> I, I know back onto the track the that you're familiar yeah. with yeah so that's what I, how i felt because i was like i know the plot of this i know the story i know the characters i know what happens but i'm also looking for batman dark knight references so i have a motivation but in the end, I'm like going, I have no idea what they're saying, but I know why they're saying it. <laughs> okay. That's well, why I, I didn't know why they were saying why I I dude, I didn't know and, shit. And then you want to really appreciate this movie? Watch the nineteen seventy version. Is that bad or is it good? It's awesome. <sighs> it's not as yeah. good as this one, but it, it is it is also awesome. But the acting's not good. No, no. Charles Charlton Heston is not up to the I mean, he's good. 
but like his speech at the funeral is not up to snuff. Like, yeah, but even not... everybody, it's just, it seemed like Jason Robards, uh, there's a lot of people in that movie and it just seems like they're all reading. Mm. Nobody's enunciating, nobody's punctuating. Uh, you know, what, what Brandon does in this movie is rare. Like he actually starts acting and it was like, wow, he's acting. He kind of seems like he knows what he's saying. So, but and which, get... which character? No, hold, on, hold, on, was... hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We cannot deprive our listeners of the opportunity to do this to George. George, real quick. <laughs> did you recognize anybody in this movie? No. Oh. Did you happen to recognize the actor that played Cicero in this movie? Tall, skinny, not in a lot of scenes. We mentioned him by no. name last episode and even said what he's from. Did you catch that? <laughs> no. Do you participate <laughs> when we have this show or... <laughs> Alfred. It's Alfred from the 1960s Batman show. <laughs> Clean shaven. i this shit down. You need to start listening to our podcast. <laughs> it's a funny show. You should listen to this show. <laughs> now, George, did you happen to recognize the actor that plays Brutus in this movie? He looks a little bit like Sam Neill, but he is not from Jurassic Park. Mm. He's like, who's Sam Neill? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The show is not working. We are failing. Uh, you mean Seth MacFarlane? Oh no. <laughs> no, he's not in this. No. Okay. And well, anyway, James Mason, him. one of the most famous actors of a generation. Oh yeah, James Mason. I mm. probably know the name. Now you no, now you know the face no. and the No, that was sarcastic. I have no idea. Who <laughs> okay, he is. great. Then last one, and this is really this is the big money one. And I know okay. how this is gonna go, and for the sake of our listeners, we just had to. George, did you happen to recognize the actor that played Mark Antony? Yes. Who is that? Dick's Handley. Dick's Handley. You're right. <laughs> Get Dick's this Handley. man an award. No, did you really? I mean, the guy, Cry Havoc and Let Slip the Dogs of War, that guy? Mm, no. Mm. No, I, no. Who is he? Would it be, what was that line? Cry Havoc and Let Slip the Dogs of War. Oh, God, Cry Havoc. What if I said Cry Havoc? Stop it. Yes. <laughs> For real? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Oh my Marlo- God. Marlon Brando. He was a babe back give in the day. Julius an offer he couldn't refuse. Holy shit! Yeah, it's him. What? But he wasn't pushing his jaw. Dude, you out. just blew my mind. <laughs> and I've even told you before. Dude, I've even shown you that... a picture of young Marlon Brando, so you could mm-hmm. take into account how different Godfather was. You sent him. <laughs> so just live with that for a second. Let us all hear you live I... with that. Let that marinate. I'm. Speechless. Yeah. I'm grinning <laughs> and speechless. <laughs> Brutus was an honorable man because uh, impression here. Oh, my God. Now, what, what part did uh, John Gilgood play? He played Cassius. Cassius, that's it. So he's awesome. He's from Arthur, the movie Arthur, which you will watch eventually. I brought it up before because he has a great line where he says to Arthur... Would you like me to come in there and wash your dick for your little shit? <laughs> He's like his butler. <laughs> and he and he like waits on him like hand and foot. Like yeah. he's like he does nothing for himself. Kind of like my kids. Right. And when he says that line in that Gil Good, <laughs> you know, Shakespearean actor trained yeah. voice, it is the funniest line in the movie. <laughs> so when I saw him in this, I was like, Oh my god, I've never seen him really in anything else other than, than Arthur. And he's probably done a shit ton of movies. I think his resume's pretty long. Like Brando, you know. Like like Marlon Brando, uh, maybe the most <laughs> famous actor of all time, uh, who was in this movie right. and also in The Godfather, and uh, you might have wanted to recognize him. I don't know. Oh, my God. That's <sighs> so funny. I'm really glad that you didn't recognize him just for this bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> but my heart hurts a little bit knowing that you're not faking it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh-huh. yeah, he's the one who really starts acting in this movie. Oh, yeah. Everybody else is just kind of just reading off the lines Dude, and they're talking. I don't know. James Dude, Mason does if a good you, job. I like him yeah. a lot. Yeah, he's... The whole movie, I mean, for me, the best part of the movie was the eulogy. Yes. Like, that is... Yep, that's the scene. The pinnacle of the movie. That's, like, yeah, that's the scene. When you go anywhere and you type in Julius Caesar 1953, that's the scene that pops up. Yeah, everything, everything else after that was just like, it has to be here because that's how Shakespeare wrote it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That scene was what this movie was made for. Yeah, hundred percent. Now you bring that up, and and I love it when you bring stuff up organically that I was already going to talk about. Uh, 
Shakespeare. Okay, George, in high school, did you go to school or were you a homeschoolie? I was homeschooled. Did you read any Shakespeare in, in high school? I read The Merchant of Venice. You read The Merchant of Venice. Okay. Do yeah. you remember anything that your, your teacher ever talked to you about the five-act structure? Mm, it's been a long time. I don't remember. So here's the deal. American movies, in general, are a three-act structure, right? You have a beginning, a middle, mm-hmm. an end, and then a finish, right? Like it, it's kind of up, up, up. Climate. And then it's over. Mm-hmm. In a five-act yeah. play, generally, it's up, 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 down, finish, right? So what you get out of that last little bit, the, the denouement, right? The, the finish of act three in a movie, they're going to mm-hmm. drag that out over two more acts, <laughs> which is exactly what you just described, right? Like Caesar, spoiler alert, uh, gets killed in act three, and then it's just like, and we're wrapping this up and now we're gonna be done. Mm. Whereas if it yeah. were an American movie, it would probably be Caesar got killed. Oh no. And then it'd be like, okay, now we do a teaser for the sequel, which would be another three acts fe- featuring Mark Antony and Octavian. Mm. Yeah. Unless it's a Tarantino Shakespeare movie where you see Julius Caesar get killed in the opening scene. Right. And then they, go back and explain why actually that would be a great way to do this movie i'd be intrigued to see a tarantino version of this because would he do a five-act version shuffled or just a three-act shuffled as long as sam jackson plays anybody (laughs) mark antony or anybody yeah anybody anybody. really i don't want to see see him play caesar though that would be a waste. I would love to see him do the speech. No, it's got to be Sam yeah, Jackson. He has to do this, but not speech. Sam Jackson from Pulp Fiction. I want to see Sam no. Jackson in like Shakespearean mode, just nail yeah. the speech, and yes. just go against type. Oh, it'd be so good. He could do it too. He's real good. Oh, he could do it. Yeah, he's probably done this play before. Honestly, like this is a pretty popular play. These kind of plays, it's almost like we did an exercise once where you just had to take the most basic dialogue like almost like the lyrics to happy birthday and you would have to say it with conviction and like pat like you would say the the stupid words but you would be feeling something else and was that like trying to say like trying to say cheesecake in the most excited way you can without smiling i guess that would be a way to do it try it you can't smile. You, <laughs> you just can't. have to say cheesecake in the most. Che- well, cheese is the say, ultimate word to smile. <laughs> you have to say cheesecake. cheesecake. All the listeners, all the listeners, listeners need to try this right now. You have to be excited, <laughs> excited about cheesecake, but do not smile. Cheesecake. cheesecake. I did it. Did you? Did you do it? Cheesecake. No, but you got to be excited. Cheesecake. Cheesecake. There you go. You're getting it. You got to go cheesecake. down on cake, not up. You can't be cheesecake. <laughs> you gotta go with the eyebrows. You got cheesecake. cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's geez. a fun exercise. This is good but radio. Yeah. <laughs> God, that line uh, with carrion men groaning for burial. Oh man! Now, when I first read this back in high school, I was I was just like, "This is too much." Like I I was in Travis's shoes, like, "Oh nope, nah." <laughs> and for whatever reason, I found my gear this time. Uh, more so than I ever have. And the trick is, it's like listening to a uh, a new song for the first time. Like, you're not going to catch every word because there's, you know, music and instrumentation and the mix may not be perfect and who knows what speakers you're on. But if you can feel the flow of the music, you'll eventually learn the lyrics, right? Mm-hmm. And so I found this gear where I was like, I was listening, but I was just kind of like going with it and then picking up what I could as I went without really worrying about it if I missed a line or two. Way easier on the on the soul yeah. if you're trying to watch Shakespeare doing it that way. But that line with carrion men groaning for burial really stuck out to me as like, whoa, it's fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> Well, and that's, that stems from me always harping on acting. Like when you watch a movie like the passion, some people hate it. Some people love it. I love it because it's not even in English, but I don't have to read subtitles because I know a, I know the story. And B, you can tell what everybody's saying by the way they're saying it. 
how they're carrying themselves, what they're doing with their face. It really doesn't, the entire movie's in Aramaic. Right. But you can sit there and you can see someone say a word you don't understand, but in their face you're seeing them say, you see the hurt, the pain, the whatever. So to me, that's what Shakespeare is like. It's like watching an opera. You don't, you don't know what they're singing about, but you feel what they're singing about. It's you tricky feel. with Julius Caesar, though, because without the con- like historical context and with a general lack of graphic violence or like really much dynamic action at all in the first couple acts, it would be very easy to look at it and just kind of go, okay, like here yeah. we are. We're in swords and sandals and we're talking and nothing's happening. And so I noticed mm. that even in the text, if you, if you go to Google Books, you can get a free copy of Julius Caesar to download. The first, I don't know, 150 pages are all historical background and the works of Plutarch and stuff just to give you the context you need to like pick up and run with the beginning of the play. Kind of an interesting choice. I mean, at the time, I guess this was probably widely taught as, you know, Western civilization and history to students so that by the time they would see this play, they'd be like, oh, I know my jam, like just like you with the the passion, right? Mm-hmm. The context was already so ingrained in them that they didn't need it. And it became like a Avengers 3, like we already know who all these guys are, so we don't need right. exposition, right? Right. The Mortal just Kombat go, go Annihilation play. move. <laughs> Completely different movies, but yes, good yeah. play. I mean, sort of. <laughs> Not even Mortal Kombat from 1989-90. It was like 95, <laughs> 96. Oh, that's right. It was 90, yeah, 94, 95. Yeah, yeah somewhere in the mid-90s. The Mid-90s. Mortal Kombat. That's actually uh, what this movie is missing, if anything, is just a techno <laughs> score. Yeah. If we had a techno score, I think this would be a 10 out of 10. I'm so happy, yeah. by the way, that George didn't know that was Marlon Brando. Yeah. That was, even though you said Marlon Brando's name twice. <laughs> Tonight, before I asked him, and I was just like, uh, "You ruined it." You said Marlon Brand. No, he wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Is he listening I was paying right attention. now? Attention. I was paying attention, but to, but to be honest with you, the name the name Marlon Brando doesn't mean anything to oh. me. Oh, when gosh. he did the impression with the chin out, I was like, "Oh, that dude." Did you know Marlon Brando was in this movie? No. Do you Do you know now? I do now. <laughs> and but who did I don't he play? But if you ask me like a week from now, like, do you remember like who played, uh, what's his name, uh, Mark Anthony? I'd be like, oh yeah, the guy from Godfather. I, I'm not gonna remember mm. Marlon Brando. I'm just not. Mm. But I like. That's one of those names though that should it's in the lexicon. Maybe it's like the uh, maybe after this, uh, the Mount uh, this, Rushmore this beating of that I'm taking, maybe I will remember Marlon Brando. Yeah. Who knows? We'll watch Streetcar but, next week, and he'll be like, "Man, that lead guy was pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> or the freshman, the freshman. Actually, that's him later, and it's still he's still on his game. We could watch uh, Last Tango and really have some interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. Island of Doctor Moreau. No, no, we're not watching. But that. again. You know, like I said, uh, what it was a couple of weeks ago when you were like, I can't believe you didn't recognize this guy in like the two movies that I've seen. Yeah, but that was like, like Dick Handley. 40 years apart. <laughs> like, right. I, you know, same thing. Like, yeah. Dude, this had to be like, what, 35 years before Godfather? Well, we assumed since Godfather was like out of the 80 movies we've watched, it's like in your top three, top yeah. four. So, but it's fine. It'd be like if we saw. He Al Pacino totally, and Heat, totally and you didn't realize, oh my God, we never asked. Hey, George, last week when we watched Heat, there was a guy in it that said something about <laughs> asses. <laughs> did you recognize him maybe from the Godfather movies? I, I did. Okay. I we did. forgot to ask, so I'm glad yeah, that he we did do a, He did do an episode callback. You mentioned the, the Pacino at 11, yes. which was something we well, talked about. I didn't about understand it when you said, gotcha. when you mentioned it during Godfather, but I understand it now. Phew, good. Hey, did yeah. either of you have any... Um, in- but I didn't recognize him in Godfather for like the first half of the movie. But God. <laughs> did you have any inclination when you were watching this movie that like people don't really talk like this? Did that ever become a hang-up for you? Like, oh, this dialogue. No, I, you know, this no. just isn't how people talk. Because I thought, uh, what I thought was this is how people used to talk. Gotcha. Because I was kind of hoping you, you would be able to come with me on a journey where I would equate this movie to Clerks. In that it's black and white and people talk in a way that people don't really talk. And it's about you know, two different sets of two guys hanging out and one of them doesn't talk a whole lot. 
Yeah. Mm. That's a reach. But Yeah, no, that's a reach. Yeah. We'll have to get Kevin on the phone. <laughs> I, in fact, he'll I say think, he saw it afterwards. I think Clerks <laughs> might be a ripoff of Julius Caesar. <laughs> Julius Caesar. I don't know. I did hear Brutus say something like, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, it was Caesar who wasn't supposed to be there today. Caesar said. He's getting stabbed. He's like, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Actually, you know, I think the working title for Clerks was Orange Julius Caesar. But it was at a mall, and then they couldn't shoot at the mall, so they had to switch it to a convenience store. Oh. See, I thought it was butt work. No, that's our sequel. Butt work is the Julius Caesar. All right, gotcha. Or no, the remake, excuse me. The remake of Julius Caesar. I would never we'll try to make it. a non-canonical Clerks 2 because the original Clerks 2 is so good. Mm. We'll call it Caesar Salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like that good a joke. She's Caesar Salad. And Unless she... you make it butt work, colon, Caesar Toss Salad. my salad. And the, <laughs> and Toss the, my Caesar Salad. And the colon <laughs> is actually itself a double entendre in that it's, scenario. Yeah, yeah so the colon's there. That is a multi, time... That's a multifaceted joke, guys. I, yes. I think that's a good wow. one. That's a winner. And a good callback, because every time we mention that movie on the podcast, we would say the colon. Just there like you we say comma. Just for like we say, Deadly. yeah, comma. Silent Night. Comma, comma Deadly, Deadly Night. Now, George. Yeah. Are you ready to go on a quick journey with me? Yes, please. This is what I signed up for because I really, honestly, don't know where this. We're not going on that fucking clue. We're not going on that journey yet. But I'm going to tease you with that journey a little bit. Uh, I mean, I see, I see wings on an eagle, and there was a wing on the bat wing. No, stop it! You're reaching now. (laughs) So just not seeing it. uh, And I don't want you to see it yet. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to take you on a, this is going to be an extended journey. And by the end, you two are going to be like, Dan, I'm so glad we did this show for two years to get to this point because you just broke everyone's understanding of what they love in that movie. Referring mm-hmm. to the dark Knight. I, honestly, I was watching Julius Caesar. I'm thinking, did he mean dark Knight rises? Cause there's a lot more dark Knight rises in this movie than there is uh dark Knight. Oh, we'll get whole- to it. The whole, you know, backstabbing. Uh, you know. Okay, well, I want to hear what Dan has to yes, say, I mean. and I'm going to rate him on a scale of uh, Dan, when, you're a genius, to go home, you're drunk. We'll see if he reaches uh, Wendy theory status. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. The difference between the Wendy theory with The Shining and the Dan theory, the Bat Dan theory of The Dark Knight, is mm-hmm. that there are actually breadcrumbs in the mm. Dark Knight, and it's not all made up. Those are the two differences. Nah, should watch the video. I think there's actually <laughs> breadcrumbs in the Wendy theory, but yeah. hey, go ahead, it's fine, it's fine. But we're not going on that go, journey yet. Go in there. This you, is a different some journey. Dresses in there. Go. I'm trying. I'm what? painting to you a picture of how this movie actually interconnects with a ton of movies we've already talked about. I'm closing uh, my eyes and I'm painting a picture in my head. Go. Okay, George. I have a feeling I'm going to get the clerk's connection more than I'm going to get the clerk's <laughs> connection. <laughs> so, but go. Uh, George, iambic pentameter. Yeah. You're familiar so with what? that term, I assume? Iambic pentameter? I know flux capacitor. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, Jesus. Okay, well, we need to talk to your, uh, your homeschool educator a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, because if you talk about Shakespeare, you need to talk about iambic pentameter. And what that is, is essentially... Five sets of two syllables, and it's the structure of every Shakespearean play. Five sets of two syllables. And it's like a low and then a high emphasis. Let me get some Shakespeare quotes not from this movie so I can illustrate. Just grab that that, that clerk's script. It's pretty close. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure. Uh, Let's see. 27 dicks. Try not to uh, suck in knee dicks <laughs> on the way to the parking lot. That's too many syllables. Maybe so if we break that down. Uh, so basically, it's an alternating between an unstressed beat and a stressed beat. Kind of a da 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 That is the structure of every Shakespearean Wait, line. Wait, hold on a second. Is this kind of like the Kevin James delivering a phone number cadence? 
yeah, bit where yeah. he's like, it's not. I mean, yeah, it's similar. Very much like that. Uh, okay. You know I mean, what's funny? Hold on a sec. I just want to point out that the person, the tutor that I had for Merchant of Venice hmm. back in the day. Was Kevin James? I believe listens. Oh, yeah. To the pod. Nice. Yes. And they're probably like, hey. yeah, we talked about iambic pentameter for a month and you forgot. <laughs> so, sorry. Sorry, Sam. Friend of the show. So, okay, here, here's a couple just <laughs> to illustrate to your ears what I'm talking about. Uh, from Twelfth Night, there's a line, if music be the food of love, play on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the that's, flow of that. But you wouldn't read it like that if you're a good actor. But that's the structure that they use because then... It's easier to memorize. It it flows better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Mm-hmm. Am I going to have an issue with iambic pentameter, guys? I think I am. Uh, but, I mean, who the fuck am I, right? I'm just some idiot on mm. a podcast. Uh, but soft, what light through yonder is it, window breaks? Is it pentameter? Pentameter. Pentameter. Is it pentameter but it's, or it's, pentameter? It's pronounced pentameter, but it's pentameter. Are you sure? I'm, dude. One thousand percent sure. All right. I watch inside the actor studio <laughs> and it's pentameter. All right. <laughs> oh Jesus. So here's the thing. <laughs> Sounds like you're trying to say pentameter, but well, like, that's how in, it like, is a pretentious spelled. way. How about this one? The car. <laughs> the car. The car. Oh, Don't touch his dick. Uh <laughs> asshole. <laughs> so earlier tonight when we were getting ready to go. I jokingly sent you some Shakespearean, like, hey, hurry the hell up, guys. You're, you're slowing me down. Uh, did you read what I sent you by chance? I did, I it, yes. but I didn't register it like okay. that. Okay. So, jokingly, off the top of my head, I threw out, and I'm just going to read this to you, the audience, because you need to know what I'm talking about. To call when one is not prepared would be to justice most unsnared. Now, that's bullshit, obviously. Unsnared justice, what the hell. Anyway, I went back and looked, and I realized, oh, actually, that's quadrimeter. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay, so... You I, mean quadrameter. 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 <laughs> so, that was my bad, because I actually, I, I fired that out on the keyboard being all cutesy, and then realized, oh, that was actually quadrameter, not pentameter. And the reason I did that, George is because mm. pentameter, I have always found awkward, and I could never put my finger on it because I was a 16-year-old reading Julius Caesar in English and didn't give up flying rats, but... I know why. Why? It's like talking in 5-4. Yes! In music terms. 100%. And actually, that's... Uh, yeah. See, sometimes you come to my conclusions for me, and that makes me really happy. Exactly. That's, this is why we're friends, Dan. Oh, God. We guys. live like 1,500 miles away from each other, and, and we're know, friends. You know each other. This is why. Yeah, it Again. is. Yeah. It's five, eight time, or five four time, with yeah. the and and and. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. one too many, just like the Halloween theme, guys. Shakespeare invented Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, sort of. But Carpenter saw it later. <laughs> Carpenter was really big on iambic pentameter, and he was like, "Man, if I did that on a piano, it'd be a little scarier than if I just did four. Isn't that banana? I don't think that any of our listeners came with us except for Aaron. Aaron's like, those crazy guys just figured it out. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's one too many. It's one too many I am's. Huh. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? It's Isn't just... that what got uh, Vanilla Ice in trouble? Because <laughs> he took, <laughs> no, when, he, when he did about? Ice Ice Baby, no. he took, yeah, when he took the Queen song, Under Pressure, the he took the he sampled the no, dun, 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 I get dun, you I get you dun, 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 no that's dun, the but same he put wait you gotta listen to his explanation he put the ding in. He, he says put an he, extra he ding. put the ding in there so it goes dun 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 and he said that's how he changed it I've yeah. actually but seen the, the clip where he argues that I oh it's my god I'm insanity like, no no yeah. you stole it <laughs> that's yeah that's and then he said he saw it later yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, you okay. Points deducted for not knowing who Marlon Brando was, even though we warned you about it. But <laughs> points, points were gained. A lot yes, of points gained. for making the Halloween Five Four connection uh, without me having to tell you that. That's awesome. Yeah. We are on the same page. Yeah. Jesus. Gold star for for Georgie. Uh, gold Didn't star for George. Nice. Now, I've been going back and forth about how to present 
the Batman stuff to you guys for weeks, right? Because we've been planning to do that. I've been planning to show you this movie since we started talking about doing the Nolan trilogy. So we're talking about last summer. Mm. Because I've always wanted to put all this into the right spot. But I realized this week, as I'm watching Julius Caesar, as I'm thinking about Dark Knight stuff, there's two concerns I have with just throwing it at you right now in the Julius Caesar episode. Don't tell me you're going to bring us a new episode. <laughs> with something First from 1920. We have, we have to watch one to more watch obs- from 1922. One more obscure <laughs> black and white movie from Italy. Right. Just First, one teensy more movie. This really isn't from Italy, though. <laughs> that, was kind of a, that was kind of a reach. It's yeah, Rome, man. place in Italy, but it wasn't made in Italy. But it is Italian. You gotta admit, this is pretty, it's pretty funny uh, for me to be like, yeah. yeah, the Italian origins. Also, it's, a, it's an English place. <laughs> this is the first Italian giallo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Although it, we knew who did it. It had yeah. a little bit <laughs> in common time. with the girl who knew too much, but hmm. anyway. Concerns with just jumping in. First of all, Mm -hmm. people that want to know about The Dark Knight aren't necessarily going to click on this episode. Even if I put in it, this is how The Dark Knight became what it is. People aren't going to watch Julius Caesar and then listen to this episode. And I want the Bat fans as much as I want our regular listeners. And we get Mm -hmm. a Bat bump every time we do a Batman movie. So Mm. that's my first concern. Okay. My second concern is that you don't necessarily have the Roman history like footing to mm-hmm. see the Dark Knight and then go, oh, Dan knows what's up. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to give you the information that you don't have right now about what led up to and followed the play Julius Caesar so that when the okay. time comes that you watch Dark Knight, you're going to have more in your head than just the movie you just watched. All right. Can I... Pop in with something, please. I, when we were watching Begins, it was the first because I knew that we were trying to find connections. I did think about the fall of Rome in connection with the League of Shadows. You mean like when he said the fall of Rome? No, even before <laughs> that line, <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, he does. I say know Rome before it. <laughs> like you get that feeling that that's what they're they're. They're uh, equating, obviously, they're equating Gotham to the, uh, you know, same thing with, like, Sodom and Gomorrah and all this. Like, you're just taking these these times in history when people just get too big for their britches and, and basically there's collapse. So, when I watch this Ta- movie... Tower of Babel, yeah, maybe. When I watch this much. movie, I'm thinking to myself, like, the levels that things had to get to for this to happen, you know? To go from a republic to a dictatorship in less than what, two hundred years? I think, hundred years. That's generally how long it takes. I think. Yeah. So it's like it's it, there's people still alive. It's kind of like with with this country with our history. There's people still alive when Caesar's killed that might have been around or a, a direct descendant to the people that were around before the dictatorship. So the stories are still new of how things were. So it's like with with Batman, it's the same thing. Like he grew up knowing the way things were, and now he's looking at Gotham the way it is now. Yeah. Stay tuned. (laughs) What I would say to that. Okay. Stay tuned. So I'm going to go through at this point an abbreviated history of Republican Roman history around the time of Julius Caesar, and I'm not going to make it school boring. So stick with me here, listeners. And then at the end, I'm going to show George a clip from the TV show Rome, which was done by HBO back in the early aughts. And it has to do most with this movie. It's just, it's an, it's an amazing both tribute and acknowledgement of the Julius Caesar movie. So stay tuned for that in the post credits. Now a little uh, background, George, I was a history major and a classical studies major. So coming out of college in 2008, right before the movie comes out, this is where my head is, right? Like this is my area. So at first I really thought that like, oh man, everybody's going to see this and it's going to be something we can all talk about. And then I realized, oh no, (laughs) literally this movie was pointed directly at my brain and everybody else missed it. And that's okay. It's been... 14 years since the movie's come out. 
I'm still the only person I've ever seen post online about the Dark Knight and what it what it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 14 years. It's time to put this down. So, before we do, next time, a little background on Rome. So, here is the quickest, dirtiest breakdown of what this movie followed and what follows this movie. Now, Julius Caesar in the movie is murdered in front of a statue of Pompey. Pompey the Great. Mm-hmm. Pompey the Great, at one time, was in an alliance with Julius Caesar and a third guy named Crassus. And this was an unofficial political alliance. These aren't guys who were elected to three chairs of a table who have to work together. These are three dudes that made a, an expedient alliance with each other to control the fate of Rome. Kind of underground. Hmm. They're called the first triumvirate. Anybody? Triumvirate? Bueller? Okay, we're off to a strong start. So, <laughs> here's what you need to remember. <laughs> At one time, Caesar worked with a guy named Pompey and a guy named Crassus. And the three mm-hmm. of them controlled the fate of Rome for a good amount of time. But each one of them had overlapping interests with the other one to where if there weren't three of them, it would be a kind of nasty rivalry rather than mm-hmm. any kind of friendship, right? These are practical relationships. These are not friendly relationships. Mm-hmm. Sounds like New York. <laughs> so Pompey... No, I, I get it, yeah. Pompey's a great... Leader, he's a champion of the people, he's very, very popular in Rome, and he's currently in charge of Spain. This is all while Caesar is making his famous capture of Gaul. Now, Gaul, for those listening, is essentially France, Switzerland. He conquers all of that in a couple of years. Excellent military victory, does a great job of building his own brand. Whether he was doing it for the glory of Rome or for the glory of Caesar is debatable. Uh, The ancient texts would tend to make you think that he was a bit of an egomaniac, uh, the kind of guy who would talk in the third person, you know, and conquer an entire continent just to make himself look cool and give himself more Mm -hmm. power. So that's your boy Caesar. The third guy, Crassus, is like kind of the oil that keeps this machine running, right? He has a vested interest in keeping Pompey where he is, keeping Caesar where he is, and doing what he wants to do, which is conquer the area like Turkey, right? Farther out east. But during an expedition in the east, in an area called Parthia, Crassus gets killed in battle. And it's like a shock, right? Like, we're not talking about, oh, he had a hard-fought battle and lost to an equal-sized army. This was like the Roman equivalent of Custer's last stand at Little Bighorn. It's an unexpected uh, defeat for the great Roman Empire, right? The kind of thing that they'd still be fighting about a hundred years later because they were so insulted that they dare lose to the Parthian. Okay. So, what happens now? You've got the triumvirate breaks down into a, a relationship of two guys, right? Caesar, who wants to be the big boss of Rome, Pompey, the current big boss of Rome. The way that they kept from just immediately igniting into a battle was that Caesar married his daughter off to Pompey. So he became Pompey's father-in-law. But then she, her name is Julia, by the way. Julia Caesar? Julia, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Julia. Well, and keep in mind, Julius Caesar's actual name is Gaius Julius of the Julian clan. So Julia is a very common... It'd be like Maria in George's family. I'm sure you've got some Marias. Oh, we have a Mary. We have a Mary. Same thing. Got some Marys. Got some Marys. Oh, and we have a a Maria as a middle name. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, part of her clan name, she's named Julia. She marries Pompey. And everything's kind of cool because Caesar has given his daughter to Pompey in a way to like create a necessity for their relationship, right? In a practical matter, right? I can't be too angry with you. I can't be too violent with you. I can't take too many steps against you because you are, after all, my son-in-law and I'm your father-in-law. But mm-hmm. she dies in childbirth. Mm. So what you're left with, instead of a, an alliance of three with a political marriage greasing the wheels, right? 
Instead, mm-hmm. you just have steel on steel, guy who wants to be in charge, guy who is in charge. Now, there's a ton of back and forthy political stuff, but the long and short of it is you have three guys, then you have two guys, and then you have one guy. And what happens is Caesar takes his armies, crosses the Rubicon, and the Rubicon, the famous river, you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. They named a Jeep after it, I think, uh, which is all kinds <laughs> of weird to do that because, I mean, you know, the destruction of republics and stuff. But basically, uh, the long and short of it is Julius Caesar takes his armies into Rome and seizes power. Now, factually, he doesn't become a dictator in the traditional Roman sense, but he definitely starts assembling powers, including the, the office of dictator, to make himself nearly a king. But before he can do that, he's got to take care of Pompey. Now, Pompey flees like one does, uh, to kind of regather uh, strength and return to Rome to try to fight off Caesar. Unfortunately for Pompey and all the senators who ran away with him, he was double-crossed by a messenger and murdered. Now, the messenger came from Egypt, and essentially the messengers thought they would gain favor with Caesar by taking care of a problem for him, not realizing that an egomaniac like Caesar would be insulted that he himself didn't get to take care of his problem. So imagine mm. you have this, like, you know, two parallel heads of state uh, running around, and, you know, the, the one who illegitimately has power doesn't ever have the chance to deal the final blow to the formerly legitimate consul, who is Pompey. So, mm-hmm. hence why, when Julius Caesar is eventually stabbed in front of a statue of Pompey, which is in the historical text. It's not just Shakespeare. Uh, there's a certain, you know, symbolism there for the sake of the Republic, right? This hero of the Republic who ruled as consul within the actual frame of the Republic stands over the dead body in statue form. stands over the dead body of Julius Caesar, who is stabbed by a bunch of senators trying to restore the Republic. One of those great historical stories. Yeah. Here's the problem. Mark Antony's speech and just the, you know, in actual history, I don't know that we can point to Antony's speech as the thing which turns the tide of the Roman people, right? There was a lot of like the actual contents of Caesar's will being very beneficial to the people of Rome to where he almost buys off the masses of Rome in death more effectively than he ever did in life. And so... While the Senate may have thought that their conspiracy to kill him would restore the Republic, in fact, the momentum of Mark Antony's speech and the will of Caesar and the attitude of the masses of Rome actually kicks those people out of Rome and puts into place basically the the will of Caesar, which is Octavian, who you meet in the movie, Mm -hmm. Antony, who is his like second-in-command, and then a yeah. guy, Lepidus, who is in the movie, but not in a huge role. He's like the right. older guy at the table. Mm-hmm. So once again, you have three guys in control of Rome. The second triumvirate, right? We had a first triumvirate, so you know there was going to be a second. And it's Mark Antony, Octavian, and Lepidus. Now you've gone from three guys in control of Rome and a republic to now three guys in control of Rome. And it's just an empire. Right? It is no longer a republic because the republican government has fled and is being kind of uh, either picked off one by one or put underfoot and returned in like a ceremonial senate role. Think of like the uh, royalty in England, right? Like, yeah, there's still a queen, but like, you know, not, not a lot of policy being made at, uh, mm. at Buckingham Palace because the actual power within England lies within parliament. Here, you have senators, they have no power, and they all pretty much are loyal to Octavian, the adopted son of Caesar, and Mark Antony, the right-hand man of Caesar, who gave that really good speech. Are you with me so far? Yeah, absolutely. So here's where things get even more insane. Lepidus is now in control of, like, North Africa. Mark Antony has the east so think like the holy land up through 
Turkey. And then, of course, it's not the Holy Land quite yet, right? We're still in the 40s BC. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Octavian has all of what would be Western Europe. Now, Lepidus tries to make a move for Sicily to take that under his control. And instead of being like pragmatic about it or giving him an opportunity to maybe apologize, Octavian, who is the son of Caesar by adoption, but just as cunning, very experienced, yeah. very young, super smart. He shuffles Lepidus off to become a priest against his will and takes over his section. So with like a, an administrative move, Lepidus is out of the picture and Octavian and Mark Antony are the only two left and Octavian has everything west of Greece and then everything east and Greece are under Mark Antony's control. So your triumvirate doesn't last very long in this one either and suddenly you've got mono imano, which is Mm -hmm. uh, as you've seen in the previous triumvirate, not the best outcome. But just wait. Because Mark Antony starts spending time in Egypt, which is itself a separate uh, country at this point. He starts hooking up with Cleopatra. Now, they've made a movie or two about that lady. I'm sure you've heard of... Hold on. Have you heard of Cleopatra? Yes. George Check just had to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> George Check. So... Is this where Ra's al Ghul? Uh... Yeah, this is where Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> We're about up to the point yeah. when Ra's al Ghul would be born. So right. what happens is basically Mark Antony gets fidgety and with kind of the influence of the Egyptian rulers and also the interconnectedness of the Egyptian political system with what he's already got going on in the Eastern Empire, they battle it out. They get to blows. Right? Like it becomes Octavian versus Antony and Cleopatra. So the two of them become like a combined force and they go up against Octavian. They have the famous Battle of Actium. They have one of the biggest battles of all time. Uh, huge political implications for Europe. Octavian wins. Mark Antony is dead. Cleopatra kills herself. And Octavian takes over what is now a unified Roman Empire. And under the title, no longer Octavian, he is Caesar Augustus. So there really is yay. a there's a lot more. Well, you know, <laughs> yay or who? You know, like, yeah. it's hard to really, you know, you know, knocking republics down and turning them into your own personal empire aren't. It's not great. But yeah, so that is a, a quick primer on what happened before and after Julius Caesar. It's not covered in the text, and I think it's interesting. It's like, you can't say that there's a flaw to Shakespeare, because he's, he's Shakespeare, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, it's interesting that when they publish his plays, they have to give you that much, and actually probably ten times that, background just to put into context the thing you're about to watch. Mm. You need cliff notes for the cliff notes. You do. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's... I mean, it's 500 years old. What can we do? Then, yeah, what, because this, this movie actually does leave it up to... Um, you know, the viewer to decide, you know, is is uh Julius Caesar an egomaniac or or not? Mm. In the you text they're not they don't mince words about his I mean the dude wrote his own histories in the third person. Like He was like the rock. But you can be an egomaniac. <laughs> there's you know, there's a <laughs> There's a use for, and there are successful egomaniacs. And then there's also the, you know, unsuccessful egomaniacs. And so it doesn't necessarily make him the bad guy of the story. And it definitely doesn't necessarily pin him into a corner as non-functional or dysfunctional or anything like that. It just happens that this dude was in it for Caesar. And say what you will about the glory of Rome, it was the glory of Caesar that he was really, you know, he can say what he wants, but his actions speak pretty clearly that it was all about him. And that, you know, it's what happened. It's just, I think the most interesting part is the speech, right? The great scene. And to think of it know, in a does... historical context of like, was it the funeral that really got the people wound up? You know, or were the people already so bought into this idea of a tyrant that now that going back felt like the wrong direction, we should just keep going this direction toward tyranny. I, does the movie actually establish Julius Caesar as 
the the egomaniac oh i don't know about no the, i mean the movie doesn't do it i'm talking about the ancient history text right. uh plutarch and and right Caesar's i'm own. talking about i'm talking about the movie no it leaves I'm it way more about... open you can you don't have to even think about it all right so hey here's the deal you've got caesar augustus roman empire all in like a post credit scene if, i mean really nowadays they'd probably split this even if it's shakespeare split it into two movies right you end mm-hmm. after the murder of caesar and then you swing around and do the second triumvirate as the sequel. And then the after credits bit would be like the empire, right? And there'd be like Germanic tribes marching down and, oh, it'd be really cool. But that's not what we got. We got a pretty cool movie. Those last two acts, eh, a little short and a little like on the action. Mm -hmm. But pretty well acted and one of the most memorable speaking to a mob of people who are about to burn this mother down that you're going to find in a movie. Yes, I agree. But is it Batman? It certainly is not. Or is it? (laughs) Tune in this time next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, (laughs) motherfucker. No, Uh, we will cover the Dark Knight. Will Julius Caesar ever get to Batman? (laughs) We'll find out next week. We are going to cover the holy hell out of the Dark Knight. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we're going to start where we're leaving off right now, which is ancient Rome, Julius Caesar, and Caesar Augustus. Holy smacks. Guys, are you excited? I am. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm very excited. I'm Batman. Are you wearing hockey pads? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Well, game on. (laughs) Game on. (laughs) Game on. (laughs) What are we watching next week? All right, so George... uh, I think Travis is going to tell you what we're going to watch next week. I know this is going to be a big shock, but I'll let Travis tell you. All right. Next week, we're going to watch a movie. That <gasps> is a movie. Uh, probably not on your radar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not black and white. A little Great. art house piece. It does have some blues and reds in it. Okay. Um, it's a little art film called The Dark Knight. Never heard I of it. I think Christopher Nolan directed it. Am never right heard, never heard of her. Nolan? I'd have to check the IMDb. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I know Marlon Brando is not in this movie. <laughs> I mean, he might but be. He might Dick have been Hansley dead is. at the time they made it. Dick's Handley. <laughs> Dick's Handley. <laughs> All right, cool. We're going to watch so, Dark Knight yeah, finally. We're going to watch that cool. again finally. Pretty soon I'm going to have you watch the movie with Dick's Handley in it. And I'm not even going to say the name of the movie because I want you to forget. <laughs> and then I'm going to see if you actually realize that we're watching it during the episode. <laughs> Before or after I mention it. That's going to happen by the end of the season, I think. Okay. But for now, The Dark Knight. Very good. Ooh, man. Are you guys excited? I am very excited. Yes. Me too. Guys have built it up so much. Oh, man. What if it's not any good? I haven't watched it in a while. (laughs) What if it sucks? It's true. I get in there and I'm like, God, if only this was Batman versus Superman. Yeah. What if it's nothing like you remember? Oh, it'll be good. It'll be fine. Thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class Podcast. As always, you can find us at Twitter and Instagram at Remedial Film Pod. You can find us at Facebook.com slash Remedial Film Pod. We'll be back next week with an in-depth look at how Julius Caesar heat the killing and like a bunch of other stuff influenced maybe the greatest superhero movie of all time, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. All right, George, Where's go. Wayne and Garth? <laughs> jump over to uh, jump over to HBO Max real quick. I want you to watch a clip. Mm. Red controller. The red controller, which looks a lot like the red phone in Batman. We'll do a whole episode on that. God, I wish I had a red phone. Actually, I want the ring from the red phone to be my phone ring, but then I never put my phone on ring, so like it wouldn't matter. Mm. I do have a red phone. A red iPhone. Does it connect you directly to Commissioner Gordon? It could. All right, what am I, what am I searching? Okay, go to Rome, the Rome. TV show from 2005, which have you ever watched the show by chance? No. It's really good. You should watch it. First, it, I mean, it's full of sex, so it's like hard to recommend on a regular basis to like people I know because it's like, hey, you want to watch softcore with some history in it? But... <laughs> 
It's pretty good. I mean, yeah, it sounds good to me. Yeah. Which uh, season and Season episode? two, episode one. The show is... Passover. The show is set up essentially like I would argue the movie should have been, right? So season one ends with Caesar's assassination. Season two begins with the aftermath of Caesar's assassination. Okay. So skip to 46 minutes and 11 seconds. And what you're going to be seeing is essentially the Caesarian funeral prior to Antony's speech. Because remember, Antony's speech is the crux of that movie. So how are they going to handle it? I remember as a viewer back in uh, six or whatever, looking at like, how are they going to handle that speech? Hey guys, it's Dan in post. So at this point, George watches a, a 10 minute chunk of Rome to see how they handle the speech. So if you're playing along at home on HBO Max, pause the podcast, watch until the part that Anthony kind of finishes his wrap up with the boys, then come on back here. So guys. Mm-hmm. This show has a budget enough to get a really strong cast and two seasons of uh, HBO money. And when they approach the famous speech from Julius Caesar, they elect to instead not even touch on it, except to go to Mark Antony after the fact and be like, maybe I overdid it a bit. I mean, that's amazing. It's insane that they didn't try it. But the reverence that that show has for this movie and for, you know, the Godfather's delivery, Marlon Brando's delivery of that speech, that this show didn't even dare reference it, except maybe I overdid it a bit. Isn't that awesome? I guess. How is this show going to do this? They're not even going to touch it. They're just going to let you fill in the blanks from that speech you've already seen in that other movie. And then just comment on how freaking awesome that speech was. It's like doing uh, A Few Good Men as a stage play. And when you get to the Jessup scene, you're just like, and he said a few things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we're just not even going to touch the Nicholson yeah. version and, of this. And we all know what Jack Nicholson said. Yeah, we all said. know what he said. And so here we go. You cut to an exterior the outside the yeah. courtroom. And they're like, wow, that went <laughs> really well. Because <laughs> I remember when I did that play, the guy who played that part, that was his goal was to do it completely different. And it was so hard for him you to kind of have to. Yeah. It was, right? it's written a little differently on the stage play than it is in the movie, but all the, all the cadences there, all the punctuation spots, but to deliver certain lines differently was, was like, I just watched impossible. Him struggle. No, he did it, but I it was mean, like, yeah, it's nearly impossible, but yeah. the, the struggle to, you only know it one way. You can't mm-hmm. just imagine saying the words you can't handle the truth other in another way. I was thinking you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Yeah. How do you say it? Not like that. You um can't handle the truth. Yeah. Like he said, he did that. He was like, you cannot, you cannot handle it. You cannot, you, you can't cannot handle, handle it. Like you just kind of did it in a different way, but it was oh, like, you terrible. only hear it one way. Yeah. But he, he was able to carry himself just like Nicholson's character. So just his punctuate, like I know the, the funniest part was he ended his, uh, ended the whole speech and he, he lost, he like pounded his hat or something or his pants, but because he's a military guy, he ended it with like a, like a, like a tug at the crease of his pants and he fixed his shit yeah. and like adjusted himself to show like his version of. I think he kind of like did like a slap of his like uh, there was like a piece of dirt on his sh- like just yeah. he was trying to find different ways to punctuate those lines, but still come off as an asshole and an arrogant piece of shit, but not come off as Nicholson. It was really hard, but it was he did. I it. bet, dude. Yeah, you, you, you can't <laughs> you can't handle this truth, baby. That's why I'm yeah, not like in when stage he says, place. When he says the. Uh, a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide. When he says a man, he goes, a, a man. And he looked him up and down with like his eyebrows squinted. He's like, a man. And it was like, yeah, that was actually better. Because mm. he was basically looking Kathy up and down. And he said, a man. Like, you're not, you're not even a man to me. So it was a, it was a good way to kind of find different ways. I love that. It's tough. It's worse when the director says, I want you to do exactly 
like Steve Martin. Well, it's like the the Heston version of the speech. If, if George, if you want to watch this movie again, uh, the seventy version with Charlton Heston, I mean, he's doing it, but you just kind of <laughs> wonder, like, why? And that's why I wonder if I'm making Rome, do I look at those two movies side by side and be like, ugh, nope, mm-mm. we're not even, we're not even. Yeah, don't touch it. That's a good rule, just in general. Just, just don't touch it. Don't touch the, th- the things that are sacred. Just don't touch it. That's the rule. Don't touch. New rule. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> New rule. 